Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and howdy gamers and welcome to this week's episode of Waypoint Radio. Uh, this is a special episode where we're doing an interview with Yutz, uh, one of the lead developers behind the uh, recent release Norco, which we did a spoiler cast on last week. Uh, and both Cameron, Kato, myself, and Patrick all absolutely loved. Hello Yutz. Hey, how's it going? It is going fine. <laughs> We definitely didn't have an extended conversation uh, before this show yeah, about that's right. uh, how uh, we both live in hell. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, the ways in which we are living and living in hell, uh, how are you? Uh, how's the how's the release going? Releases releases okay. Yeah, uh, dredging up some comments from our previous conversation. Uh, you know, I I don't think I have the right um, constitution for being online too much so post-release i've been doing a lot of kind of uh running interference on twitter and trying to help people with bugs and things like that and it's made me slightly manic but i'm doing just fine otherwise it is it is very interesting to to hear that you that you do not have the endurance for online because i feel like you have Norco is 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 a game that is has such a great grasp of what online is and what <laughs> online does to people in ways in ways that I think are really impressive. I was actually um, curious about your like, I feel like the Garretts and like other groups of characters in this game are very representative of like particular online demographics. And I was like wondering what your own personal history is. Uh, J- with, just with, with the, the internet in general. Yeah, it's with, um, with, with the grim domain. Well, it's, you know, since moving. So before starting on the game, I was working as a um, GIS, geographic information systems developer. And so I was in front of a computer, but I really didn't interact with social media all that much. I was doing work on the game kind of on the sly back then. <clears throat> and so I would post stuff online, but there wasn't all that much engagement. Um, but I feel like since moving into full time production after signing, with Raw Fury, with our publisher, mm-hmm. uh, my my internet use, and uh, you know that that was also in tandem with uh, COVID and lockdowns and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone became much more virtualized at that point, and myself as well. And I, yeah, I think that's when my relationship became a lot more intense, and I uh, discovered that, like I said, my maybe my constitution isn't really made for it. it <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know who feels completely comfortable in those kinds of digital virtual spaces. They don't feel human scale to me. Uh, they feel mm-hmm. slightly off putting when I step outside and just try to be present and just observe what's happening in front of me. It, it kind of uh, on it, something gets twisted in my mind and I can kind of 
feel it starting to ease, you know, so there's always kind of a tension there for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like if, um, if someone does feel utterly comfortable online and kind of with with the scale of it, that means that they have worse brainworms than the rest of us. And <laughs> yeah. I am honestly hopeful that I never get to the point where I'm like, no, this feels normal and good and cool. So you experience uh, this tension as well. Oh, 100 percent. Um yeah. listen, even even if you get into uh the job that you do knowing you're going to be a public figure, the acclimation period is still a real motherfucker. Like, even if you walk in and like, okay, cool, I'm going to be talking to a podcast audience of like 20,000 people. Um, That is a that is a real weight to get used to, even if you go in knowing that info. So yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm not the same boat, but definitely similar enough. Yeah, well, that acclimation, that's I mean, that's interesting. I feel like I'm maybe experiencing that to a degree because it's Mm -hmm. you put something out in the world, it's public, it's for everyone to interact with, it's for everyone to express their opinions about, they have a right to do so. And you kind of just have to be comfortable with it, which is, which is new for me, Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's the first major, uh, I think for all of us, for the entire crew that worked on it, you know, we kind of just would squirrel away our projects behind discord and things like that. But but putting it out in the public is an entirely new experience. And there is, you're totally right. There's an acclimation to it. And there's just a way of, of being uh, and sitting with that stuff. That's, that's new and uncomfortable, but otherwise fine. Yeah. Um, You mentioned that uh, before this, you were doing uh, geographic something systems. (laughs) Yeah. Geographic information systems. So basically just like mapping software and data analysis type stuff. Actually. Yeah. That clicks. Uh, that that for for some for some structural aspects of Norco, I feel like that 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 resonates. Um, I was really curious as to what because Norco's uh, Geography of Robots first first release. Mm-hmm. What you're like? What one? What made you decide that like video game was the medium with which you're going to tell the story? And also like, what is your like vague art background and like writing background uh, because Norco is an incredibly well-written game. And I was really, really curious as to like what got you to this point. I, I appreciate that. I, well, so I started originally my, I went to school for urban and regional planning. And that was a decision I made after hurricane Katrina, because I was really interested in the built environment of South Louisiana and the way the hurricane impacted the region. And I've also been curious for a long time about the way that the petrochemical industry, the actual physical material infrastructure impacts the river parish region in Louisiana. So that was kind of my original research interest. That's what I went to school for. That's how I learned a lot of the, the mapping skills that I had mentioned. And that through that, I picked up some other technical skills, learned how to code, et cetera. And just as a, sorry, my dog's making a lot of strange noises in the background. Don't know if you can hear them or not, but. Um, I cannot, but I, I will <laughs> yeah. just imagine the strangest noise I can fathom a dog making. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, like a slurping, like it's like a wet sound. But, um, oh, oh, really, really cool yeah. to hear just like a, a non-standard slurp kind of just behind yeah. you and in your space. Yeah. It's right, in, right in my, right in my left ear. And he was kind of like, he was kind of, tur- <laughs> kind of turning it up a bit, but I think he's, he's chilling now, but yeah. So, um, so yeah, I was, you know, studying that stuff, I was really interested in that stuff in the built environment. I, w- I worked on a project 
with a very close friend. That's kind of a geography oral history project is the way I've described it in the past, but basically doing deep dives into different aspects of Louisiana's uh, infrastructural landscape. So the interstate system, uh, refineries, the flood control infrastructure, things like that. And one piece of output from that project was a little JavaScript side scroller about a robot named Million attempting to infiltrate an oil refinery. And that was the, the, the seed or the origin of Norco's code base. And that was probably in 2015. And I don't have any specific, you know, I I've written for local publications around new Orleans in the past. I wrote my, my uh, thesis for grad school. I've, I've always written fiction and nonfiction since I was a kid. So, but I don't, I didn't have any real formal, um, writing and I know, you know, I, I appreciate your opinion on Norco's prose style. I don't think, you know, that is an opinion that's universally held. I've seen people get, <laughs> get irritated with it. Uh, and I don't claim to be a, a phenomenal writer. I have no interest in holding that position, you know, but I did have the, the help of two very competent, wonderful editors whose literary instincts I trust very much. And, you know, we were, we were careful. Um, I think in ways, you know, I, I see, I see some people characterize it as overwritten, but we were actually, I think in the end we tried to be very judicious. Um, but yeah, so the writing, you know, the writing was kind of just, giving it a shot, doing as well as I could. And then with the arts, I, I was learning a little bit of oil painting and acrylics before I got into pixel art. So I was trying to apply more traditional mm-hmm. painting techniques. And I also had the help of Jesse Jacoby, the other artist on the project, who is a traditional painter and is a, a master um, and a very talented individual. Yeah, the game is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I I remember reading another interview where it was uh, revealed that this is the first time I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong here. The first time that uh, Jesse's done like pixel art previously, mm-hmm. only oil painting, and it's just taken to it like yeah. like like wildfire because it like it is a gorgeous video game. Yeah, he's a uh, um, he's he's brilliant. Yeah, and and we worked on our styles kind of. Um, in tandem and I was learning from him and he was borrowing techniques that I had picked up over the years, but his, his process was so much more compressed and so much more accelerated. And he, you know, we were able to onboard him into the project in a matter of maybe two months. And he had already superseded the skills that I had developed over the course of maybe four or five years. So yeah, absolutely talented individual. That is, that is tremendously sick. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, for sure. In between, actually, um, kind of on two things you've mentioned, um, the writing style of the game and also the fact that a lot of it emerges from oral history, I was actually really curious as to, like, if oral history is your primary stylistic inspiration for your writing or if there's, like, other, like... When I was uh, talking with Spiller cast, this game, like, reminds me extremely of Faulkner from both, like, structural and also, like, prose-level <laughs> yeah. standpoints. And so I was really curious as to, like what literary or like what, you know, non-games inspiration you brought in, in addition to um, your like oral history background? Yeah, the, well, the oral history for sure was a big influence and having, having just having conversations with people and 
the way that people speak in the region and the way my family speaks and all of those things got filtered into it. And Faulkner, yeah, um, <laughs> for sure. I, so I think that probably the biggest Faulkner point of reference was, I don't know if you've read The Wild Palms, but it's about the uh, flood, the Great Flood of 1927. And I was interested in that event. It was when the Mississippi River overtopped its levees and a lot of New Orleans and other places along the Mississippi River mm -hmm. uh, flooded. And <clears throat> I... I was interested in that event and I think that may have been the first thing I'd read of Faulkner because it, it fictionalizes that historical mm -hmm. event and I loved his prose style. And I also love Cormac McCarthy and other, other Southern, I guess you could characterize as Southern Gothic authors, but I also liked a lot of genre fiction as well, like Raymond Chandler and William Gibson others and there's and so when i was exploring the prose style of norco you know one thing have you ever read a reader's manifesto by br myers there's kind of like an s an essay um length distillation of his ideas and well he's he's an interesting uh literary critic because he mm -hmm. kind of goes after I think he probably would include Faulkner in his criticism, but he was pointing his critique specifically at more postmodern authors like um, Cormac McCarthy, Don DeLillo, and, and others who have what you might say is a, a more flowery or like maximalist mm -hmm. writing style. And basically mm -hmm. just making the case that like a lot of these authors are more or less just kind of bullshitting their readers, you know, like, like it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fluff that if you sat them down and talked to them about it, it would essentially be meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, so like, but that perspective on that writing style was kind of in my head as well, where he kind of made a almost a binary distinction between postmodern authors and who you would call literary authors and then genre authors. Mm -hmm. And I, and I like, you know, I like both and I, I see the value of both. And, and I also see the value in language and experimenting with language and even, even writing things that are inherently meaningless because you just grapple with them and you build meaning out of them. But anyway, so in writing the game, that binary was interesting to me and it was something I wanted to play with. And I, you know, again, I don't know if I did it effectively, but I, but it was a lot of fun <laughs> making the attempt. Yeah, I think that I mean, like as as someone who has played it, I can say that like <laughs> Norco has some the the idea that Norco is overwritten is very interesting to me because I would actually say that the game has occasionally overwhelmingly precise prose in terms of in terms of drilling in on the exact thing it wants to say and then moving on very quickly. I think it's it very impressive the the restraint that is shown in many situations um shout out to your editors i shout guess shout out what to I'm the saying. editors for sure <laughs> yeah and yeah and i think um i think we were we were all conscious of that where we you know i think like the intro um is it gets pretty abstract and metaphorical and there's there's a lot happening in the intro and i think that's where some people get frustrated but there's actually quite a bit of information included in what, what is seemingly um, only frivolous verbiage. Mm -hmm. And 
And so, yeah, I think, I think disguising the meaning to some degree in order to measure out the plot was, was also something we were attempting to do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, the, I'd like to, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap back around to, um, this specific thing in a minute. But the other thing I was wondering, um, you've mentioned oral history as like a a deep influence on this game. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think there was a lot of different practices of oral history. And I was really curious as to like what the specific oral history practices that influence this game. Are you, are you recording conversations? Are you note taking, right? What does the, what does the body of work that kind of becomes Norco actually look like? There, we definitely recorded conversations. We, spoke to friends, family, and also like just to kind of give a sense of what the nature of this project looked like as we would drive out. We drove out to Southwest Louisiana in one case because there was a historically a socialist commune in a town in South Louisiana, Southwest Louisiana called New Yano. And we wanted to find any kind of evidence we could of, of that community and it's a, a logging town. They, they um, have a, a mill there. It's the main industry. And so we couldn't find anything. So we just went to a skating rink and talked to people at the skating rink. And I don't think we recorded conversations there, but we did take plenty of notes. And then we just went to a bar and we like asked people, you know, do you have any familiarity with this history? And they're like, uh, no, sorry. And so we just talked to them kind of, extemporaneously about their lives and what they do in the community. And that all just kind of got weaved into a sort of meta narrative about that community in that region. Mm-hmm. And so having those kinds of conversations that were free form, um, with people, with whoever, whoever we met along the way in, in the pursuit of a more academic question, we would talk to them and either take notes or we would record them if they gave us permission and mm-hmm. we would build out uh, either montages or small essays or whatever. And this was a very intern, like this was something we shared with friends mainly. And so it was a very private, very intimate, very internal project. And it was kind of, you know, which I think Norco maybe this is true of Norco as well. And I think in this way is also a spiritual successor where it's, we were trying to make sense of, Katrina, we were both, I think, very depressed. We, uh, there, there was a lot of just kind of in, in short succession, a lot of emotional difficulty that was occurring in the post-Katrina New Orleans landscape. And, and so we were trying to make sense of how we were positioned and all of that. And just, it was a way of grappling with, with our understanding and that's kind of what Norco is as well, where I've, you know, I feel similarly strange and dissociated and kind of the COVID landscape, especially being in front of a computer all day and things like this. And, and so Norco is a similar kind of uh, attempt at, at making meaning or coming to understand a, a phenomenon that seems overwhelming or strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think um, that shows through in some in some really interesting ways, and this actually is a pretty good tie into the follow up question I was about to ask, which is, I think that 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 attempt to make meaning comes through in the game's relationship between the literal and the metaphorical and allegorical, and I think that it's 
fair to say that as Norco goes on, the lines between those things blur. And I was really curious as to how you approach hitting that relationship in a way that felt good for you, right? And and making the literal metaphorical interact in ways that you actually wanted to, as opposed to getting in the way of one another. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, well, I think the general design or construction of the project followed a somewhat freely associative process where Mm -hmm. you know the the game does have its own minds and it was and it's a a mind that it's a kind of collective consciousness among all the members of the group you know we have a discord where we have some public channels and we have some private channels and the private channels are where the developers and close friends hang out and we all discuss things you know on both sides of the wall and a lot of those discussions get filtered into kind of a communal understanding of the world. And it may not be a consensus, but just kind of a general disposition. And I feel like that was the kind of hive mind that, that determined the, the flow and the nature of the game. And so a lot of thematic elements bled in that were a reflection of kind of the historical moment that we were all living through or some phenomenon we were all trying to process or that was on all of our minds or what have you. And, you know, I was, I was writing the script. And so I think it was kind of in a way my responsibility to curate that, that madness. And, and, you know, the, the narrator of the game, the omniscient narrator is, is actually a, I think of her, and I think we all do as a character, we refer to uh, as Omni and she has her own, her and you know it even it even shows in the game sometimes where she she will kind of state an opinion or contradict mm-hmm. okay and so she does have a, some agency and she does have her own personality and she's some she's kind of an oracle and and so kind of thinking through her own interpretation of the world and her own understanding of it was also part of that that synthesis process of you know where where metaphor and reality should collide or intersect or what have you mm-hmm. yeah i think that um one of the one of the things i really love about narco and that i've talked about in spoiler cast was the fact that like it feels like it is written in the in free and direct discourse which is like probably my favorite literary style that exists and the one that like emerges out of the like faulknerian and like postmodern mess and kind of develops into like modern <laughs> uh-huh. literary fiction with like Tom uh-huh. Morrison, right? Like it, it is a, it is a excellently written uh, and like structured voice that moves in and out of character perspective in yes. really naturalistic ways um, that I find extremely impressive. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, well, I think of the narrator of the game and, and Kay as almost these these twins and they, they do their, their interpretation and their perspective is, is blurry and cloudy. And, and I think that's true. And and I think the, you know, the landscape of South Louisiana, which is kind of the primary, the protagonist, I would say almost mm-hmm. of the, the entire thing, you know, has its own voice and that voice is told through Omni. And so all of these voices are, you know, they're all however you want to look at it they're either competing or they're all they're all harmonizing through the the prose 
Yeah, and I think the, the way that it shifts between that harmonization and conflict between those voices is mm. is, is extremely well done. Well, um, a thing I was curious about, uh, and this is a this is a this is a pretty massive question. Is a massive, broad question, uh, and maybe difficult to answer. And if we want to move on from it, that's fine. Or if we want to come back to it later, uh-huh. Norco feels like it is hovering around this. Assi- the part of the reason I compare it to Faulkner, hovering around the question of what the fuck is the American South, and what do we <laughs> do with the Amer? Like, what? How uh-huh. do you reckon with the American South? Um, and I think the game comes to some interesting, the game comes to some interesting conclusions, but I'm kind of curious as to like, having finished the project, if you have walked away from Norco with a different understanding of, or some kind of personal answer for that question of what is the American South and what is happening there from like both structural, but also like historical and material standpoints. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing question. I, I don't think I can do it appropriate justice, but I'll, I'll attempt. I, so the, well, I think one thing is, yeah, what, what is the American South? And I think maybe a, a question that's situated beneath that somewhere is in the, in the context of kind of the digital age and what does it mean to see the kind of digitization and and deterritorialization of the South where, Mm -hmm. you know, one, I mean, this is maybe a kind of um, contrived example, but just kind of like the universalization of y'all or something like, yeah, I was going to say, I say howdy and y'all like I open this, I'm from fucking rural Ohio and I open this podcast with, with howdy and y'all. like, yes. Yeah. So, and so there's, there's that. And there's, there's also, I mean, like Louisiana and this is something the game explores to some degree is that, and I think there, there's, there's some explicit discussion of it, which is there that Louisiana and the Gulf South exports in an aesthetic of disaster that, mm-hmm. that disaster aesthetics are cultivated in, in New Orleans to a large degree, especially now that you have a much more mediagenic kind of media literate uh, class of people who live there, you have a lot more of the kind of online punditry who live there now and are now more intimately uh, familiar with the kind of re- regularly the, the regular disaster uh, cadence of of the American South, and so I think that type of disaster has been has been exported and mm-hmm. has been synthesized and has been mediated, and that's something as someone who is you know o- online and and, and and seeing that process unfold, that was something I was interested in exploring through Norco. And then also obviously kind of authenticity where we're all these atomized branded individuals, you know, as, as just a condition of postmodernism or whatever. And we're all kind of promoting our own brands and that if you have cultural assets or resources, then then you can leverage those for social capital and you can you can transfer your social capital potentially into monetary capital you know these kinds mm-hmm. of things and and that the south is such has been under exploited for those resources for so long but now you have kind of a cash grab of people basically trying to leverage it 
in some way. And, you know, I mean, that's a question I've asked myself of like, is that what I'm doing with Norco? And, and I hope not, but, you know, potentially. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that kind of, that kind of marketplace of authenticity and disaster is something that I'm very interested in. So, so what is the South? You know, the South is this hypermediated marketplace of disaster. The, the phrase the South is a hypermediated marketplace of disaster is, is I'm sure going to be the cornerstone of some uh, nascent academic text. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited for, for someone to write that in a year and a half. Um, <laughs> actually, I was really curious as to, you're talking about the South as like a, a locus of disaster and like disaster mm-hmm. tourism, right? Mm-hmm. When you think of it that way, do you mean disaster on, because the thing that I'm thinking of in Norco is, for example, you have both the disaster tourism of of people moving the area and mm-hmm. the the literal uh you know ecological disaster that is like looming over the entire video game but you also right. even have what feels like a sense of micro disaster right the micro disaster of like ghost tours and individual <laughs> tragedies that kind of like make yeah. up moments of norco's idea of what tourism looks like it is all surrounding the spectacle of tragedy. And I was wondering if disaster for you operates on both levels or if disaster is specifically about that larger scale, um, cultural and ecological impact. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think, um, I think it's both, I think it's at every scale because as you scale up and down, I mean, the, there are reasons, for example, the coastal erosion is going to lead to more flooding. More flooding is going to lead to higher insurance rates. Higher insurance rates is going to lead to more expensive housing. More expensive housing is going to lead to a series of uh, personal misfortunes and tragedies. And so, and then also there's less of a concentration of wealth in the South and all of these other things. So you have more structural, more ecological underlying conditions that are going to create more microscopic uh, forms of exploitation and disaster on a personal level for people. And so, so I think, yeah, moving up and down that scale is, it's all, it's all true. It's all accurate and it's all worthy of being explored. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And I think, again, I've been complimenting Norco extensively throughout this interview, but that's because I, I like it a lot. I think that that's one of the things that the game does best is, is moving through these different scales of both personal and structural disaster in in really impressive ways from like, you know, the individual disaster of someone like Duck's life. I, I mean, I think the thing I've been thinking about when you've been talking about the, when you were talking about the ways in which um, the culture of the American South and has kind of propagated into the internet, uh, including the universal adoption of y'all, um, mm-hmm. myself included, 
is is the ways in which like duck and super duck become emblematic of this like localized disaster that is leading to almost a re-hyper localization of networks yes um, <laughs> that i find extremely extremely interesting yeah that well i'm i'm so glad you commented on that because that was what i was thinking is in cuz i think in inherent in the this kind of uh whatever it might be this this exploitation of of the the southern southern culture and southern disaster is that there is a you have this almost contradiction of a globalized provincialism and that there that there that you have people who are deeply alienated and deeply atomized who nonetheless become these kinds of globally significant figures um somewhat vague but but it's something that i was thinking about in writing the super the duck super duck thing that that duck is alone sitting in his house and yet he he was the source he was the origin of something that's becoming increasingly global and spreading rapidly and almost mimetically yeah i mean it is it is it's it's one of my favorite when in the spoiler cast it's one of my like favorite notes is that is that it in in some ways it had to be duck right it has to be this person who has chosen to never leave this place and has made the intentional choice to stay in spite of you know shield trying to get him to leave of course it had to be him whose consciousness turns into the network that extends into the biology of the region itself yes yes Um, yeah thank you yeah, it it fucking whips. It like from a structural <laughs> perspective, it it really owns. And I think is a good indication of the way that you use genre fiction and genre to do the work of literalizing systems mm. um, and making those systems look material. You mentioned you know Gibson and other genre fiction before, but I was actually really curious as to like how you personally approach taking a big idea, right? So you've mentioned, you know, that the, this game is a product of a lot of big ideas. How do you go about materializing those in text? Um, like, where? How does Super Duck and Duck go from a conversation between friends to extant characters in this world for you? Yeah, the I'm trying to think of what that process looked like. Um, you know, a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I well working on the game I was I I think we all were wearing a lot of hats and so I was in the and also the game moved through a lot of different versions I worked really inefficiently on this project for a long time until we brought on Aaron Gray who's a Unity developer and another very talented individual who I appreciate deeply uh, for his contribution to the project and and once he was on board, we, we moved to Unity and kind of wrangled the project and disciplined it a bit. But in the past, before he came on, I was I was moving, you know, I was writing all of the, the text, the script in my IDE in, in the code editor. And so I was kind of switching contexts quite a bit <laughs> between code and script and code and script and pixels and just oh moving back and forth. God. And there was a there was a the ultimate a, version of writing in the CMS. Jesus Christ! Oh yeah, yeah. The, the part of me that is terrified of losing <laughs> prose to the CMS is like 
is lighting on fire. Oh my god! As you were saying, sorry. No, no, it's funny you say that. Visceral reaction. CMS actually, that's just even the phrase CMS causes a visceral reaction. It makes they used to work. (laughs) (laughs) Used to work uh, at like an SEO company where we just had to like embed like uh, cans, you know, uh, SEO script that that would drive search algorithms and things like that. And so I would just like go into like. Uh, CMS after CMS and just drop in like, like get your used car today or whatever, whatever the hell it was like inside embedded in all this HTML. And so anyway, like, yeah, I get, I get that visceral feeling from a CMS, but, but I do think they're similar in that you have this <laughs> very, very immaterial way of writing, mm-hmm. uh, very digitized and impersonal way of writing. That's highly technical on many levels. And so I think my, my writing process was you know whereas if i was writing in a journal and it was and i was, it was just it would just be stream of conscience or something like that there was a much more uh there was a much more mechanical way of writing that was happening for the game mm. and I, I was thinking very practically about the narrative construction and things like that and so i would write p- piecemeal little pieces little nodes that could slot in conveniently to the to the larger scaffolding of the narrative and so that that's the way a lot of a lot of it got written where it was written nodally and then i would write around those nodes and mm. and so kind of using superduck as yeah this kind of larger theme or idea you know it was it was almost kind of mechanically constructed you know from the you know the duck is a significant figure he's in all of the ways that you describe alienated in all of these ways what what is a logical way of his consciousness manifesting and i would write a little node that would be suggestive of that idea and then that node would go into the into the script i would run i would i'd pop it into the code i would run it in my browser test it out see how it worked and then write a few more nodes after that so yeah a very mechanical and kind of pragmatic way of writing is i think what characterized a lot of it and then the more i think the the more ephemeral passages i mean just honestly i it was the production of this game was so stressful i would uh I would finish up like late in the evening and I would go like run a hot shower and just like sit in the shower and think through stuff. And that's where I think a lot of the more ephemeral stuff came to me. And, and then I would mm-hmm. just like type it out on my phone when I got out. So yeah, that was kind of the the process. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really, really fascinating. You mentioned uh, a little bit ago that, um, the game took a lot of different shapes um, mm-hmm. over the course of its development. I was wondering if you could like give some insight or maybe like a snapshot of one of the other Norcos that almost existed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, the original one was a side scroller, like where, yeah, you played as million million could transform into like a little Metroid ball <laughs> and shoot lasers <laughs> and <laughs> blast drones out of the sky. And shield was this 2d, uh monstrosity because i didn't know any pixel art so it's just grabbing what is it like uh license free textures off of the internet and Mm -hmm. cobbling together this kind of platformer and you know a lot of that 
a lot of the dialogue and things that I wrote ended up in the final script, but, but I was, I moved pretty quickly away from that because I was like spending so much time on physics and I, and I just didn't care. I didn't care about physics. I mean, I love physics. They're cool. Like I love physics and games, but it was not what I was interested in. Like I was trying to tell a story about Louisiana's landscape. So I ended right. up using, uh, I've mentioned this in other interviews, but using Snatcher as a template, uh, as like a sort of text adventure, visual text adventure that, that had some, some slightly mechanically interesting things in it, but was primarily about ideas and conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the snatcher vibes are very real. Um, Le, LeBlanc is, is deep snatcher vibes to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Le, LeBlanc is, is, is shithead snatcher. <laughs> I, oh my God. I love that characterization. Oh my god! Fucking oh my god! <laughs> funny, funny motherfucker! Fun, funny video game. Um, congrats on that. Um, speaking of funniness uh, and and humor, uh, in previous interviews we've described the game as as being about bummer vibes, uh, or not mm-hmm. not being about bummer vibes, but having bummer vibes, even mm-hmm. if it's not a dystopia. And I was really curious how not only how do you arrive at that tone because I feel like we've kind of gotten there through discussions of the disaster tourism and like mm-hmm. the market processes of disaster that happened in the South. But I was wondering how, how you hit that tone and how, if there was like, if there was, if there was an almost Norco that had a wildly different tone and and what that looked like for you. Well, there was like a point early on where, um, I mean, this was like five years ago. I was asking myself if it should be more of some kind of solar punk thing where I could imagine an alternative Louisiana where there would be all these land building projects and more housing equity and all these things. But it was so contrary to what I was experiencing directly at that Mm -hmm. time. And, and I just couldn't, I couldn't write it. Honestly, I, I just felt like I didn't even have enough experience personally to articulate any of that stuff. And so I just tried to write honestly, you know, I, like I, I tried to write beyond what I knew so that I could, I could challenge myself to research and, and, and do the work of understanding. But I wanted to write from a place of, of experience and honesty. And my experience has been that my life has been dramatically shaped by the failure of infrastructure um, Mm -hmm. and other things. And, and that was it, you know, and, and that's the reason why I, I do I know in the past I've said I don't consider it a dystopian work, and I I do think that's true, but I think it's hard to make that case because it, I think to others it resembles it so clearly. Mm-hmm. But most of what could be considered dystopian, not all of it, most of it in the game is just recounting things that have happened in Louisiana, both presently and historically. And so that's why I say it's not dystopian work. It's more of just almost a quasi-documentarian attempt to explore mm-hmm. those things. Uh, this could be a, a difficult or, or, or bummer question, but but one I think is worth asking at the end of a game like Norco, where, because you said that you, you didn't feel like you could write honestly a version of this uh, like story that is, as you, the term used, a solar punk or like more hopeful or not more hopeful, but more explicitly imagining a world that looks vastly different from our own. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about the state of alive right now? 
This could be this, a, a bummer question, but the state of alive in the world uh, and kind of, are you state, hopeful right now? Oh, am I? Well, um, not entirely. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I think if you take a sober look at the situation in Louisiana and the, and the coastline and also the political conditions, you know, I think it's not, it's hard to hope. It's hard to be hopeful, but I, I think you should be hopeful anyway. And I do. Louisiana is my home. It's where everyone that I really love, you know, m- most of my loved ones live there. A lot of people have scattered due directly to uh, events and tragedies and disasters in that area and are scattered around the country. But it's, you know, it's, it's my, my heritage is there and it's, I have complete loyalty to it and I'll do what I can on a personal level. And, and I hope there's also po- the political will, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think that bad shit happens and things get worse. And sometimes history, you know, sometimes for generations, people live through true calamity and darkness and it's part of the cycle of history. And I just, you know, I think it would be naive to think that we can just turn the ship around very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't think I have enough. I don't have anything particularly insightful to say there only that I've lived through a lot of difficulty in that state as Mm -hmm. have a lot of my loved ones. And I think if history is any, you know, has anything to suggest, then, then I think just it's better to be prepared than to be naive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I do think that the strength of, of the work that you have made in, in Norco is that there are moments of real joy for every character in this game Mm -hmm. or, almost every character in this game, there are moments of real joy and solace and community in spite of everything else. And, and the, mm-hmm. the hopeful part of this video game to me is, is those moments is, you know, taking the time to visit Dallas's family on his birthday, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. During, during Catherine's sequence is one of my like favorite, like small moments in the game of just like getting to see a dude really fucking care. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's, I think that is where that's the, you know, there's not a necessarily a light at the end of the tunnel. There's just a light that permeates through everything. You know, there is, there's light and there's levity in everything. And so there isn't one, we may not find any one true salvation, but, but there is, there, there's something that's threaded through reality, even at the darkest moments that is just by its nature, hopeful and and full of love and, you know, people call it diff- by different names, but I think that's there. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's a really phenomenal note to end this interview on. This has been extremely, extremely fun. Uh, this has been a, a really great conversation. I feel like uh, the reminder that, you know, even in even in the bummer vibes of the current moment, the pseudo semi-biographical, semi um semi-documentarian dystopia that we live in right now. Um, there are those threads that you can cling on to in, in your local community. Um, That's right. And um, in your life. Uh, I guess, actually, the one thing I would like to leave on, is there anything like... It's it's corny to ask for a call to action, but is there anything like... If, if people walk away from Norco caring more for this region, what, what does advocacy... Yeah look like as someone who lives there well there's a lot you could do but maybe just to make it more 
tangible, I would say, donate to the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. Give your money to the, the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. They help fence line communities up and down the Mississippi River and are a very effective organization. Yeah, perfect. I think that is an excellent note to end on. Uh, thank you so much, Yats. This has been really, really incredible. Um, where can the people find you on Twitter? Uh, unless you don't want to be found, in which case you do not have to tell me where the people can find you on Twitter. No, well, the best place to get information on the project is, uh, on, yeah, Robotic Geo. No spaces, Robotic Geo on Twitter. Perfect. Um, and yeah, you can get Norco pretty much anywhere uh, on PC. It's on Steam. It's, uh, it's Game Pass, yes? Yeah, on Game Pass as well. Perfect. It's on Steam. It's on Game Pass. Um, a really, really cool project. Uh, and thank you folks for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ren or Raven, and you can find everything we hear at Waypoint do at Waypoint Vice. Later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.